Welcome to another episode of Pat the Fat Man. We like to talk about sports, movies, whatever else we feel like. I'm Pat. Now I'm the Fat Man. Coming at you not live today, covering all of the sports ball that we have not covered this entire season of <laughs> sports ball. <laughs> and there's been a lot of it. It's December and we haven't covered from like October. Yeah, practically speaking, all of the teams that we know and love stuff has happened. We figured we would catch all of you up in what will hopefully not be a four hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I guess start with baseball because that's the one that finished uh, first, really. Okay, I'll let you go first because the Guardian season finished long before the Ranger season. Did. Yeah, Guardians finished third, I believe, this past season. It wasn't great. It was sad. Yeah, they finished third. Terry Francona, he uh, he did retire. It was very sad. Those of you who don't know, Terry Francona was the coach of the Cleveland Guardians and was heralded as one of the potential coaches that was going to get them to the World Series. Right, because he won at least one, I think two, for Boston when he was head coach for, for Boston. That was part of it, too. And then the other part was that he was a great baseball manager. He He was a guy that... Every baseball player that he that ever played for him, they loved him. And he, you know, was like just a mentor. He knew how to talk to players because he used to be one. So he was the Guardian slash Indians coach for 11 years, 2012 to 2023. Did get him to one World Series, Game 7 of that World Series. A couple of playoff runs, a couple of American League Championship Series. So the one time that he did get him to the World Series, it was that infamous one with the Chicago Cubs. Took him to Game 7. Took him to extra innings Game 7 of the World Series. And uh, we lost that in, I want to say, 10 innings, 11 innings. It was just very sad. Yeah, it was It was pretty dramatic, I remember. Oh, yeah. What was it? Rajay um, Davis ties it up, bottom of the, uh, the eighth inning with a two-run homer and... That's the moment that we'll always remember with Terry Francona because we thought that was going to be it. Suddenly, things turned around in that game. It's tied up. We're going into extra innings, and we're at home. Where This is in Cleveland. The place is rocking. I mean, like everyone who was there, every sports person that was there says that when that home run hit, that place exploded. Those are their words That's that they say, that that place erupted and exploded with noise. And that it was like nothing else they had ever uh, seen or heard. And then uh, get through the ninth inning, still tied. And then as we're about to start the 10th, it starts raining. We go into like a several hour rain delay. So, yeah, it was just a, a really big moment. I remember I was uh, working at Disney at the time and. Even though I was supposed to be working, I was listening to the game. <laughs> <laughs> he retires because um, he's been getting up there in age. He's had to miss more and more games for the last few seasons due to health issues and whatnot. And, um, you know, he actually one of those guys that wants to spend time with his kids and his grandkids and all that. And so uh, he retired at the end of the season. We got a new coach about three weeks ago now, uh, as of this recording. A guy named Stephen Voigt. <laughs> a former catcher from one of the California teams. First time head coach, newly retired, very young guy. In fact, I think I'm older than him. 
and you're like oh well you know you know lots of people are older than these coaches like no 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 you don't understand this is like the first time that i could think of in my life and i'm almost 40 i'll be turning 40 here in a few weeks and there's a head coach of a major sports team that i'm older than so uh lots of things going on there i'm not really sure how i uh how I feel about this upcoming season. <laughs> Confident is not one of them. <laughs> I think we're in for a, uh, another season or two, at least before we're competitive again, if we're ever as competitive as we were with Terry Francona. That's been it, about it for the Guardians. It's been one bleep of a year for the Texas <laughs> Rangers. <laughs> you could not have written a more telenovela drama soap opera version of not just the postseason but even right before the postseason for the texas rangers so after last season we were i think the worst i think we were the worst team uh in the american league i'm not absolutely certain about that but we were close to the worst team fire several of our fire managers we fire a lot of the coaching staff and we we bruce bochi comes out of retirement to come manage the Rangers. And Bruce has a long pedigree as both a player and as a manager. He was a manager of the Padres and then the Giants. And he took them between the two of them. He took them to a whole bunch of titles and a whole bunch of world series why he came out of retirement for the Rangers. I don't know. Like what, what black magic (laughs) they, they had to use to get him to come back. I'm not sure, but he did, and it turned out to be the best uh, season in the Rangers' history. So starting with most of the season, the Rangers are leading their division, which may not seem impressive until you realize that Houston is in that division. Mm -hmm. And the Astros, with Dusty Baker, have been on a tear for the last seven years. And even before that as well, you know, through the cheating scandal. But even after the cheating scandal, they've been... They've been a very good team. Well, I mean, Dusty Baker's only been was only the manager this year, I think. Was this the first year? No, no. So then this was only a second year because he won a World Series with Atlanta. And then I think he went to Houston and won it with Houston. I know he's been to the World Series with the Astros more than one year, but I thought he'd been their manager for like five years now. Let's see. No, 2020. So three years. So they've been on a tear. They've won or gone to the World Series several times over the last decade and there are they are a pretty good team they're not the leader of the american league that's the orioles for pretty much the entirety of the uh, season uh but they're up there and they're, they're typically either in the number two or number three spot we get down to the very end of the season and they they of course like late september they go into this slump where they lose like 10 games and then they'll win a couple and they lose like seven games (laughs) and basically Houston catches back up and they manage through two series one of them with the Mariners to kind of lock themselves into being in the playoffs and then suddenly because of a win like the second to last game they win that game and because they win that game, they, they're guaranteed to be in the playoffs in the postseason. And then as long as they win the next game, they're guaranteed to be in to be the number one seed and, you know, play at home and, and whatnot. 
But no, they lose the next game against the Mariners, and Houston wins it. And that, and it's not against Houston, but Houston wins their game. Right. And those two sets of scenarios basically drops everything. <laughs> yeah, they drop the Rangers from the first seed to the last seed, and so all of their uh, postseason games are away. Practically speaking, they're either majority away series because it's in the American League until they get to the World Series, and then the you know, it'll just depend on who wins in the National League side. So then we go into the drama of postseason play. So they go up and play the Orioles because the, it's the, you know, it's the first seed versus the last seed. And, or is it the Orioles first? No, it's not. Um, who's the first? So just to interject real quick, I was looking it up. And with his four seasons with Houston, he's won one ALC pennant. And one World Series. Yeah. That's it so far. Yeah, it's Dusty. Yes, Dusty. Now, I was wrong. I was completely wrong, though. He never coached for Atlanta. I thought he had. I don't know why I thought that, but. Oh, okay. Who did he coach for before? Washington Nationals. All right. Okay. So, I'll correct myself. Uh, the Rangers don't drop to the last seed. They drop to the fifth seed, right? With the first first and second seeds in the playoffs getting the buys. And so um, Toronto plays Minnesota, Texas plays Tampa Bay mm-hmm. away, right? It's a three three game series. It's two in Tampa Bay and and one in Texas, and the Rangers win both games in Tampa Bay, right? So they sweep Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. All right? So then they go on to the divisional series, and they're against the number one team, which is Baltimore, who's been leading the whole time, right? Right, who's dominant. American League, pretty sure they were going to go to the World Series. Everybody was. It's a five-game series, right? right? So you play two games in Baltimore, then two games in Texas, and then one in Baltimore if it goes to five games. Again, the Rangers, the first two games, they beat Baltimore in Baltimore. So they beat the Orioles in Baltimore and then beat them one more time when they get back to Arlington. They sweep the Orioles. Right. Right. Then we go to the championship series. So the ALCS American league championship series. And of course this is against the Astros <laughs> who, who, uh, who beat Minnesota, who had beaten Toronto. So this is quite literally the, the baseball series. It's a seven game series, right? Like the world series. This was quite literally the series I had been waiting my entire life to see. The All-Texas, the Lone Star Showdown. Right. I had wanted to see this in the World Series because previous to a certain point in time, the Houston Astros were a National League team. They switched over to the American League, and they suddenly got good after they did that, which I found that to be hilarious. So they switched over to the American League, and the Rangers have not been very good (laughs) since they did that, and the Astros have been. But I'm finally getting this seven-game series that I had always wanted to watch. I only went to one game, you know, in Arlington. Yeah, but that's still, that's a big deal because getting those tickets is not easy. No, it was kind of luck. Me and my buddy Trip went, and uh, I had to talk myself out of dropping, like, somewhere in the neighborhood of $2,000 in order to go to every game. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, but I, I didn't, I didn't do it. I didn't take a week off work and go, go watch a bunch of baseball games and spend a whole lot of money. <laughs> Just driving up and down. Was it 45, 35? Yep. Yep. So I didn't do it. I wanted to, but I didn't. 
Watched it all on TV instead. I went to game three or four. I can't remember. But either way, this series was had the repeat result of, I want to say it was the 2018 World Series where the Astros played the Senators. The Nationals, sorry. Nationals, Their yes. old name was the Senators before they became the Rangers. Anyways, in the 2018 World Series, Houston loses to the Nationals. You know, four games to three games. It goes to seven games. Mm-hmm. And no team wins a home game. It's the only World Series in history where no team won a home game. So this is a repeat. Houston has the home field advantage. So the first two games are in Houston. The Rangers win both of those. The next three games are in Arlington. The Astros win those three. And then the and then the last two games are back in Houston. And somehow the Rangers win it. You know, massive, huge thing. We've only won the pennant, right? This is called, you know, when you win the either the American League Championship Series or in the National League Championship Series, it's called winning the pennant. And, you know, you've won your your series. Because the stadiums are so close, it's it's huge because there's so many Rangers fans in Houston. <laughs> and so this there's a huge celebration. Everybody goes nuts because because the Rangers have only won. This is like the third time ever that the Rangers have won. Garcia, he gets named MVP because he finally he's been like asleep all all postseason and he blasts one out of the out of the stands, kind of to walk off home run. I think that was game six for the Rangers, but it is back and forth major players like Garcia and Seager and Simeon that they play so well. And it's interesting because the Rangers are not a pitch uh, heavy team, right? Like they don't have really good pitchers. In fact, like the game I went to for the American league series championship, our pitcher was Max Scherzer and he was literally coming off of like a month long surgery. He had been out for a month after like surgery recovery right from an injury or injury recovery. And so he was cold. Like he hadn't played since um, whatever the month before September is <laughs> August. <laughs> yeah. He hadn't really played since August. So he was coming off cold. The honest truth is the, the pitching is kind of mediocre for the Rangers. I would say we've got one really good pitcher, maybe one and a half, depending on, you know, the day they're having. We've got a really solid closer and we have an okay bullpen. But what we really have with the Rangers is excellent defense. The fielders are amazing. They're fast. They have strong, strong arms. They're good and they very rarely make errors. They're good at at picking the ball and figuring out where to go with it. And that, in a lot of ways, makes up for kind of the deficit on the pitching side of the ball. The other thing is, I think the new pitching clock rules Mm -hmm. i think they really do favor the batters in the end in the end yeah i think in you know the final calculation but it's that fine line that if the batters try to use it too much or if they push it past a certain point then it goes against them like like there's there's no like they're already getting a break with the rules as they're set up so there's no leniency if they break those rules you know yeah it's very much a if a pitcher gets in a really good rhythm Within that time span, he can really destroy a team. But if he gets out of the rhythm and the batters know what they're doing, they can take a pitcher apart. Mm-hmm. And that was something that the Rangers were really good at. They'd find that inning where the pitcher was off and they would just rack up the score. You know, they'd go from nothing for seven innings and suddenly 10 points. You know, it that was kind of the story of the season. 
right for a lot of the a lot of it you know Altuve was probably the most solid player for the uh for the Astros a short little cheater he's one of the few leftovers on the team from the cheating scandal and he was like directly involved he was the guy hitting the trash can to send the signals with the signal stealing he's an amazing ball player like he he's one of those guys that will almost always either get on base or hit a home run like he's going to do one of the two almost always so he was tough and, and, you know, beating Houston was not a small deal. So then they go to the Diamondbacks. Lo and behold, because of previous meetings between the two teams and the American League versus National League stuff for reasons, the Rangers end up having home field advantage. So I went to game two of the World Series. Yeah, of the World Series, which was awesome. <laughs> it's like just flat out <laughs> except for the result of that game i mean damn that was whew. yeah so you know we started home the first game the rangers win it's not a like a huge win i think it's like four to three or it's six to four it's it was five to six in 11 innings yeah five to six very close game right goes to 11 innings very close game Game two, the Diamondbacks take us apart yep what was it nine to nine to one yeah i want to say seager hits a home run and in like the sixth or seventh inning, and that is literally the only score we have. <laughs> the only the only run we put on the board. Or maybe it was Simeon. I can't remember. One of the two of them. So it was kind of dismal. And of course, that's the one I went to, right? So <laughs> I still had a lot of fun, ate way too much food, but got to go with my buddy Trip and another buddy of mine, Jeremy. And that was that was fantastic. I will say I got four tickets that game and could not find somebody to, to take the fourth ticket. Everybody I tried, huge fans. They just they couldn't go. There was all kinds of reasons. So I put it up on SeatGeek uh, to sell it. You know, I kind of put it at. I looked at what what they were selling for in SeatGeek, and I put it a little lower than that because you know it's a single seat, and it got snatched up in like ten minutes. Uh, but nobody ever showed up to sit in the seat, and so I think some resale, you know, jack bought it and marked it up a bunch, and then it didn't sell. So. I hate that crap, you know? I figure there's got to be somebody out there who wanted to see this game live. <laughs> mm-hmm. You couldn't you couldn't price it to sell it to them. So then it goes to Arizona, and the Rangers win the next three games. Yep. Literally the only team in the history of baseball to win every postseason away game. I think they're 11-0, I want to say. There's two against Tampa Bay, two against Baltimore four against Houston, and then three against uh, Arizona, the Diamondbacks. So that's 11 games away. They won every single away game in the postseason. It's funny because they only won two at home. (laughs) Or no, sorry. Yeah, they only won two at home. (laughs) they, They won one game against the Orioles at home, and they won one game against the Diamondbacks at home. And uh, Garcia, of course, Garcia gets hurt in the course of the World Series. Scherzer gets hurt. It's the same game. Uh, I want to say it's game four, maybe game three, but it's in Arizona. They both get hurt. And that's while Max is trying to pitch. Max Scherzer, he comes out. He can't go back. Garcia pulls his back out, basically. I don't remember if he hits the ball, if he misses the ball or what, or, or what. But So he's out. There's a lot of drama coming down to the wire. Like I said, watching it, it was like watching a telenovela. You could not <laughs> have written it with more drama. Than there was, but the Rangers won. 
granted it kind of stinks when you win the world series away because there's no fireworks and there's the, you know, the, <laughs> the, the home team, right. There's less energy because like the whole city isn't involved. <laughs> right. So the Rangers came away with literally their first world series ever. I got to see one of the games. I'm so, so happy about that. Don't know what the, what the team's going to look like next year. I believe Bruce is staying on, but I'm not sure. You know, I kind of hope it, they sustain it for at least a year or two. Usually what happens is teams start to fall apart pretty rapidly after World Series. A lot of guys go other places because they get bigger contracts. But we'll see. We'll see. It was a great, great, great season. So that was baseball. <laughs> what type of sports ball do we want to talk about next? Uh, well, I guess college football. <sighs> Try to go with the sad stuff before we get to the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. And that is that... Uh... A&M did uh, awful. No, no, no. What we did last year was awful. <laughs> what we did this year was mediocre. <laughs> Flat out mediocre. Seven and four or seven and five. And yes, we were seven and five this year. All right. So big shakeup in college football. I'm not sure if we covered this or not, but you already had two teams from the Big 12 moving into the SEC. And that is, of course, Texas and Oklahoma. You could say... The two best teams out of the Big 12, leaving the Big 12 to come to the SEC. This would have left the Big 12 at eight because they never replaced Missouri or uh, AM when they left. So the Big 12 picked up BYU, which was an FBS independent member, which was kind of like um, Notre Dame. They just sort of played along with another conference, the, the West Coast Conference and the uh, uh, American Atlantic Conference. They picked up Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF. Yep. The real big ones there, uh, I think, from a numbers perspective, were Cincinnati and UCF. Mm -hmm. UCF had gone undefeated in a prior year in their conference and had not gone to the playoffs. And then Cincinnati had gone to the playoffs in the previous year. It was proved rather quickly why Cincinnati should not have gone to the playoffs (laughs) since they got... (laughs) decimated by uh, Alabama, but... The thing was, that year, though, they took down at least one big team. That's why there was any attention to them at all, yep. you know, as well as the record, so... And they had been in the running in previous years. The year we should have gone to the playoffs, they were in the running for that as well, but Notre Dame got the slot. So those were the four that went to the Big 12, and that was pretty shortly after Texas and Oklahoma announced that they were leaving. Right. And that was sort of the, the shakeup that happened, I don't know, starting in like 2021, maybe. Now there's been a much, much bigger thing, and that is the dissolution of the Pac-12. <laughs> and when we say dissolution, I mean, it's not an official and complete dissolution. It's just that, you know, everybody but like three teams left the Pac-12. <laughs> yeah. More or less, two teams, USC and UCLA, say Pac-12 goodbye. You know, we're going to the Big Ten. And this is primarily due to TV deals. The problem the Pac-12 was having is they were locked into these late time slots for their games. So a lot of Pac-12 games didn't start until after 8 p.m., basically after prime time. Sorry, I shouldn't say 8 p.m. until after 9 p.m. in the East Coast. So a lot of them were starting at at 9, 10, or 11 o'clock on the East Coast. 
granted, that's that's a lot earlier on the West Coast, but you lose the vast majority of your viewing audience after 10 o'clock. And so you had a whole slew of West Coast games, Pac-12 team games, that weren't starting until after most of the viewing audience was out. And so the revenue, the advertising revenue, was not good enough, more or less. Right. And so UCLA and USC, two of kind of the big, big names in the Pac-12, said, well, we've gotten to the point where we can buy out, so we're buying out and we're going to the Big Ten. Which is interesting because it makes the Big Ten a coast-to-coast conference. Right. And this move is similar to the Big 12s taking in a US, UCF and uh, Cincinnati and BYU. It makes them a much bigger conference because the Big 12 was primarily a Texas-based conference, right? Texas and several of the states around it. Right. Now USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten. Well, what I think it does is it makes the, the Big Ten, in essence, a better conference in that Maybe some of the more inferior Big Ten teams up to now get a chance to beat up on other schools and make themselves look better. Or it just brings in more competition for the big schools. And by that, I mean, really, we're talking about Ohio State. But I guess if we want to be generous, we'll say Michigan as well. Yeah. Well, Michigan is the one of those two that's going to uh, <laughs> to the playoffs this year. So <laughs> it, it, it is. But I mean, then there, there's a whole other thing we can get to that, too, later. But, you know, I mean... <laughs> Up until the last couple of years, they've really not been impressive. So those two announce, you know, there's a little bit of shock, right? And then things kind of get quiet. And then the storm starts. Both Oregon and Washington both announce, we're going to the Big Ten too, right? And those are the two other big teams. Oregon, Washington being the Pac-12 uh, team that's going to the playoffs this year. Uh, Oregon's been in, in the past. They're both big, big teams in the big in the Pac-12. Shoot, Oregon beat Ohio State last year. Yeah, and then Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado all decide to join the Big Twelve. So now, basically, with BYU, they now have a whole section of the Big Twelve that is over kind of out west, right? With Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado. So the Big Twelve is now going to be. The big 18. No, sorry, the big 16. Right. <laughs> and the big 10 is going to be the big 14. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, the SEC with the addition of two more teams, I think that brings the SEC to 14 as well. Mm-hmm. And then right now, Cal and Stanford finally got their move into the ACC. They have Clemson. And Florida State, Georgia Tech, North Carolina, and a lot of times Notre Dame plays along with them. Notre Dame, all of their non-football sports play in the ACC, and the football plays a lot of ACC football, along with SMU, interestingly enough, all going into the ACC. So the ACC is is a Power 5 conference, but it's like the weakest Power 5 conference. Mm-hmm. But Cal and Sanford, there was a lot of question marks about how they would weather the Pac-12 kind of closing down because their entire athletics program is somewhat dependent on the football revenue they get from the football team's, you know, TV appearances. Right. Because it's it's Cal and Stanford. I mean, these are not, you know, these are not athletics based 
organizations, right? They're primarily learning institutions, <laughs> unlike, <laughs> unlike many college football powerhouses, Alabama, <coughs> Ohio State. <laughs> Isn't Stanford considered Ivy League? <laughs> Almost, yeah. I don't think they are just because they're not in the Northeast, but still, yeah. yeah. Basically, same kind of a... Same kind of standard. So that leaves literally the Pac-12 is down to the Pac-2. And currently nobody is coming in. Right. USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington, Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado, Cal, and Stanford. Right now it's literally Oregon State and Washington State. And we're pretty sure it's just going to fold. I don't know what's going to happen to Oregon State and Washington State. The other possibility is that the Pac-12 merges. They're going to go to the MAC. <laughs> yeah, Mountain American Conference or the Mountain West Conference or one of those. Yeah, not really sure what's going to happen to those two teams, but they're pretty much adrift in an ocean of question marks. And that all happened in a good, like, you have a start starting gun that fires, and then four months later, the Pac-12 is, like, dead. It's a big deal because... The Pac-12 was is a hundred year organization. I mean, they they were around for they were they've been a conference for longer than I want to say at least the SEC. Um, I'm not sure about the other conferences. Well, really, the Pac-12 is just essentially a victim of geography. Unless they were wanting to play games at nine o'clock in the morning, they weren't going to get the TV viewers that other teams get because they're all on the Eastern Time Coast. So, and most of those games start at one o'clock on the east, which is nine o'clock, ten o'clock on the west coast. Yeah, you know, if you're wanting people to watch it, you're not, you have to be available when the majority of your viewers are going to watch it, which are in the now they may not live in the eastern time zone, but they watch on the eastern time schedule. So they weren't getting the viewers there and so a lot of these universities are like screw it let's go to these other conferences that will get us the tv ratings and the tv money and the attention we want and that's how it's going to be yeah apparently the pac-12 tried getting into the tv business and just completely fumbled the whole thing and nothing came of it it was a bunch of money moving around to nothing and nothing ever happened so i think that kind of ticked off a bunch of pac-12 universities and so they're like well the big 12 and the big 10 and the sec they got their stuff together we're just going to go to them yeah you know you had the longhorn network right which was a dismal failure because nobody would take it right nobody would put it on their tv well, at first, uh, TU didn't want it to. They wanted it all to themselves. Yeah. And then when they did try to bring in people, people were like, screw you, we've moved on. Yeah. Then you have conferences, you know, you've got the SEC network and the Big Ten network um, and the ACC network. And the Pac-12 is like six or seven channels. Mm-hmm. And they try to get the t- the TV, you know, DirecTV and and the Cox and all the cable providers and the, the dish provider, whatever. They tried to get them to take the entire bundle at a rate. The guys were like, no, we're not going to give you six or seven channels for at this rate. And so the Pac-12 was losing it. Like, whereas, oh, yeah, we can we can give you one channel like we could take the SEC channel because we know the viewership's huge because of Alabama. Or we'll right. take, you know, the Big Ten channel because we know the viewership is huge because of Michigan and Ohio State. And every so often teams like Florida and Georgia and LSU they have really good years and really good followings and they yeah. generate a whole bunch of TV viewership. Yeah. The concept where they were trying to basically give every three teams within the conference its own channel and then try and t- sell all those channels to nobody's watching them. 
Right. Like it wasn't worth the network's money to have those channels. By the time they started at one o'clock their time, it's four o'clock on the East Coast where everybody's already got done drinking their morning away, cheering like crazy. And now they're <gasps> dealing with the aftermath, either the aftermath party or the aftermath. I'm going to drink myself so I can feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like in the words of the Kentucky coach this year, I have a lot of faith in Kentucky fans to pound some beers before our 11 o'clock game. Like, <laughs> and that's what's going to happen. You know, you're going to get a, you know, a bunch of guys pounding beers before nine o'clock <laughs> to watch the the Oregon uh, versus Ohio State game. You know, right? I, it, or you know, when when Rutgers plays UCLA, and it's literally a four hour time difference, one of those teams is going to be totally jacked. <laughs> like, it's going to be interesting. It's interesting to me because of how clearly it shows that. Your no conference is like so safe that it can just screw up, right? right? Bad leadership can kill a conference in 10 years in less than that. We say that, but here's the funny part I think that the SEC's got themselves in such a good spot is that Disney's hanging on to ESPN tooth and nail because they can't get rid of it. Mm-hmm. So, what are they doing? They're trying to find ways to keep it viable which right now at the moment means finding sports that people want to watch that nobody else already has contracts with. And that does include the SEC. They got them in early. They secured them in early, so they've got that. And then, you know, lately ESPN slash ABC has been picking up hockey and picking up some, you know, Formula One and some other things, you know, some soccer. So the SEC is very secure. And then the, the Big Ten, they've got a lot of history there with Ohio State, with Michigan. And even though Notre Dame's an independent, they play a lot of Big Ten schools and a lot of history in that rivalry. So there's a lot of TV stuff that goes on there. So those are probably the two most secure conferences. And then the Big 12, Big 12 is a football territory. As long as those universities have money, which they usually do, they'll find people to televise theirs. But then you got everybody else and everybody else is unless you're doing consistently good year after year, you're not making it. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting dynamic change because you, you know, within the Power Five conferences, you have, you know, SEC, uh, Big Ten, Big 12, uh, Pac-12, and ACC. Well, with the ACC being the least, you know, quote-unquote powerful or the weakest, and you have the Pac-12 kind of next ranked, and then the Big 12. And sometimes those two change depending on how well they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then the Big Ten and then the SEC. You can look at who's won the college football championships over the last you know 20 years and that's basically how it falls out Mm -hmm. with a very heavy dominance on the part of the sec and a slightly less dominance after them by the big big 10 and i'll reiterate slightly less for a lot of because i know people who are ohio state fans and i'm sure there might be michigan fans or two that might hear this but in our lifetime like you were saying 20 years it's been the florida it's been georgia it's been alabama it's been lsu i can remember those now don't get me wrong i can remember when ohio state went on a tear of i don't know how many years in a row of being national champs but i can't remember michigan and Unless you told me Michigan State or Purdue or somebody like that, I mean, I couldn't tell you if any when those guys last won the national championship. So. Yeah, prior prior to the last three years, Michigan's pretty been pretty dismal, just flat out. They've been okay. They've been mediocre. They've been doing what A and M's been doing, <laughs> just mediocre. It does leave a question mark as to whether 
Who, who's going to be considered power conferences anymore? Are we going to even consider the ACC as a power conference, especially with what happened with the football, the college football playoffs, which we'll get to? And where does that sit with the Big Ten? If, if really the Big Ten, the SEC, and the Big 12 are the only power conferences, how does that end up looking? I think it could go a couple ways, to be honest. I think the first way it goes is the same way we've gone with all of our sports here in the U.S., which is you end up with two major conferences, which would probably end up being the SEC and the Big Ten. And those end up being like the National Football League and the American Football League or the um, American, you know, in baseball, you've got the American League and the National League. You've got, you know, you've got these two sides. And then the winner of those leagues goes on and plays each other, and that's the national championship. I could see it falling out like that. On the other hand, I could see it going the way of the British football leagues, where you have the very top-tier football league, and whoever loses, whoever the worst couple of losers are that, they drop down to the next football league, and whoever the winners from that league are come up, and you have a a tiered four or five layer system with these conferences. So like the best right. two out of the Big Ten go to the SEC, and the worst two out of the SEC go to the Big Ten, and the and the worst two out of the Big Ten go to the Big Twelve, <laughs> and the best two of the Big Twelve go to the Big Ten. That kind of a thing. Listening to sports radio this morning, some people were talking about the NBA in season tournament and how they thought that that was there because they were trying to mimic what they do in Europe. And I go, the British system doesn't work in all systems, but for some reason, I like it in college football just because it gives those teams that sometimes, you know, like like um, Florida State this year, you know, a couple of years ago, Florida State would have been in a lower tier. But, you know, this season they would have gotten bumped up. So mm-hmm. next season they would be in that higher tier and playing for that. Right. So I, I kind of like that. Yeah, we'll get into it um, as we get into the season. So mm-hmm. that's the conference realignment. Huge, huge realignment happening. Uh, by the start of next year for AM in particular like you said slightly better than last year but no way better than last year <laughs> almost double <laughs> almost double. we really won, only won three games last year we won four. Oh, four. Ooh. If, if we if we beat osu at our bowl game we'll we'll have won double the number of games this year than last year <laughs> we were terrible last year flat out jimbo fisher more or less ever since the 2021 season where we did not make the playoffs by one slot, we have been mediocre at best. Right. That whatever Fisher was doing worked until that point, and then it stopped working. And we've been on a decline ever since. Last year, we, we didn't make a bowl game. We only won four games. This year, you know, we won seven games, so we make a bowl game. It was a mediocre year. You know, we, we beat the teams we were probably going to beat. Like we beat Arkansas, we beat Mississippi, Auburn. Yeah, we beat Auburn. Auburn was terrible this year. Arkansas was terrible. Mississippi State was terrible. South Carolina was terrible. You know, we beat all of them. We lost against Ole Miss yet again. We lost against LSU. No shock there. I I don't know if the Heisman's been announced, but their quarterback is one of the front runners along with. Uh, he won Hicks. the Heisman. He won the Heisman. Yeah, that's not a shock. However, I will say. Uh, against LSU, we put up a much better show than I thought we were going to. I thought we were going to just get decimated. We we put up like 30 points, I want to say. Yeah, 42-30 was the final. Yeah, we were actually were leading that game for quite a bit of it. So that one we lost by 10. Ole Miss, we lost by 3. Mm-hmm. Alabama, we lost by 6. Yeah. 
Tennessee, we lost by seven. Yep. Miami, we lost by... Okay, well, that one we had until we didn't. That was a hard... That was 15. I still blame Miami on the rain, flat out. I mean, they literally, they were slip sliding all over the field. I don't, I don't think... We had been in a pretty severe drought. I don't think any of the players had seen rain, let alone played football in it. Not that they ever practice outdoors. Right, and that's that's the thing. I don't think... You know, and I think Miami was perfectly fine in that environment, and we sucked terribly, and so that's that was the result we got. But is that really an excuse? I mean, that you know, you guys couldn't play in a certain weather condition. I'm not saying it's so much an excuse. I'm just saying that's the reason. It's not because our guys suck, (laughs) (laughs) or the play calling was bad, or the quarterback didn't know what he was doing. It was they couldn't play in the rain, and, and. I mean, if you think that makes your team stink, then that's fine. But that was the reason. You know, it was just another season where it's like we could have beaten Alabama. Mm-hmm. We could have probably not beaten LSU, but we could have won the Alabama game. We could have won the Tennessee game. We could have won the Ole Miss game. We could have been a contender. We could have been somebody. <laughs> just like the year before that, we could have won the, the Alabama game. And we just can't get across the finish line. And Jimbo just can't seem to do it. Mm-hmm. After our 51 to... 51 to 10. 51 to 10 blowout went over Mississippi State. They fired Jimbo Fisher, which I think is hilarious. The whole situation is hilarious because it's not that we just fired him. We paid him off. We paid him $76 million to go away. And we were like, that's fine. We don't care. We're paying him $76 million over the course of the next nine years to go away. <laughs> Eight years, whatever. So it's like $7 million what a, a distinction. year. distinction. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> I mean, but, you know, you're paying them off so that way he goes away. Yeah. Essentially, you're going to pay two salaries for a coach, one that's actually going to be there, one that isn't. <laughs> yep. So we fired him. The last two games were the defensive coordinators was the acting head coach. And honestly, I thought he did a good job. I kind of I kind of feel like I was kind of hoping they would give him just the head coaching job for like a year just just to let us settle out. But they didn't. They opted to bring back Elko. So Mike Elko was the defensive coordinator for AM uh, under some of Jimbo Fisher's uh, tenure. He got the offer to go coach Duke as their head coach. So he went, brought Duke from being a dismal team who would win like one or two games a year up to an actual contender, at least mediocre or better seasons. A couple of years he was there. Bringing Elko back in a lot of ways, you know, he, he knows the organization. He knows uh, a lot of the coaching staff because he kind of came up with them. I'm interested to see who he decides to keep, especially on the defensive side. Uh, I know he fired uh, Elko, or sorry, he fired um, Petrino. So Bob Petrino's gone. I know, God, was his name Elijah? The defensive coordinator who was the acting head coach the last two games, he left to go take another coaching job. Petrino's gone back to Arkansas as their not as their head coach, but as their offensive coordinator, which is an interesting turn because Petrino left the job at Arkansas in shame <laughs> because of a scandal. <laughs> so it's interesting that he's gone back. Well, everyone's forgot about it now, so come on back. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what seems to be going on there. The thing was, I don't think Petrino did bad. I don't think he was the reason we lost. <laughs> no. What we got was very much a blend of Petrino and Fisher's style of offense. Petrino has more of the kind of Alabama-style offense, which is to always go for the jugular no matter what. You're always trying to score points, more or less. Mm -hmm. Fisher's style of football is... Run out the clock. Yeah, clock management. 
It's all about holding on to the ball and using that to try and determine the game. Unfortunately, if you're holding on to the ball a lot of the time as the offense, and every time you give it to the other team, they run down and score, and it only takes them a minute, it doesn't matter <laughs> how long you control the clock, <laughs> you still get beat. Right. If you're not scoring points, you're not doing the moral, uh, the morale damage that you want to do. It's fine that you can have the ball, but if they feel like they can just wait you out and take the ball back and score, then they'll just wait you out. Yeah. The truth is, in order for, for Jimbo's strategy, that strategy to work, you need to control the line of scrimmage, period, end of story. Your offensive line has to be the best. If you're going to beat the best, if you're going to beat Alabama and LSU and Ole Miss, you're going to beat Georgia, if you're going to beat Tennessee, if you're going to beat Kentucky, um, your offensive line has to be the, you know, your offensive and your defensive line has to be the best in the game. Our defensive line was. We were the, I think we were the top ranked defense in the SEC, if not the country. But our offensive line has been in shambles since the 2021 season. In the 2021 season, we they were it was like four seniors and a junior, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And then the the four seniors went off, replaced by freshmen and sophomores, and did not have the ability to protect the quarterback in the same way, to own the line of scrimmage, to protect the run game, to to block and tackle the way they're supposed to. And so we didn't do it. So I'll be interested to see what Elko does. Uh, obviously defensive coordinator. So he's got a more of a defensive mind scheme. That's always been a big, big thing for A&M anyways. We've always been a defensive heavy team. You know, Jackie Sherrill, probably the best head coach A&M ever had, was a previous defensive coordinator, followed by Slocum, who was his defensive coordinator, was Jackie Sherrill's, who then became uh, the head coach, he was always defensively minded. Now, granted, under under Slocum, unlike Cheryl, who would would have gone to the national championship if not for the scandal <laughs> that resulted <laughs> us in us being disqualified from that for several years. Slocum was ever was only ever mediocre. We would always win eight games, and so we would never go to the conference. We never went, or we would win the conference occasionally, but we would never go to the national championship or anything like that. But the wrecking crew is the thing. So I'm interested to see what happens. I really am. The other drama at AM has been the quarterbacks again, <laughs> of course. Connor Wegman started the season. He goes out with injury on game four. Max Johnson starts. Max Johnson did really well. Yeah, he did. He goes out. Uh, he makes it five games, and then he goes out on injury. And we bring in Henderson. So we're down to our third string. And Henderson does great. Like, they all, all three of them do great, to be honest. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately for Max, because he's he's been in the game. This was his fifth year. He's transferred to another school. He's going to play as a master's. I don't know how that works with eligibility. I guess maybe he's got an extra couple of years because of COVID, but either way. So Johnson's still, still going to play. We'll have Wegman back. He's a very dynamic quarterback. He can do a lot of crazy things. There's a chance if we had kept Wegman all season, we would have won the game against Tennessee. We would have won a game against Alabama. We would have maybe won the game against LSU. I don't know. But Wegman should be a pretty strong force in the coming season. So that's the long and short of it. Well, we'll have to see. He's he's going to have a new coach to deal with and a new system and new OC and a lot of new things coming at him. So I'm hoping that whoever we get as the offensive coordinator is interested in building an offense around the talents of the players mm-hmm. and is not trying to shoehorn what he's got into a certain model. Because that that is exactly what Jimbo was doing. You know, when you have the players that work in that model, then your your model, then your team works well. And when you don't, 
the best you get is mediocre. Well, it's funny. That seems to be how football's turned into. Instead of coaches turning players into what they want them to be or need them to be, they don't force players to change. They work with what the players got. I can't tell you if that's a good way of doing things. It's just how things are going, I think. Yeah, no, it is. It really is. Outside of Texas A&M and the conference realignment, the big, big drama in college football has been the playoffs. Yeah, yeah, especially this year. So this is the last year of the 14 playoffs. Next year, we're going to go to 12 teams. As I've said every time we bring it up, that was a stupid number. <laughs> Should have been 16 teams. So the, the four teams that get picked in a year like this year, it should have been easy, right? Washington out of the Pac-12 finishes with a spotless record, right? No losses, 10-0. Mm-hmm. They go, right? They get picked up. Michigan. Michigan finishes out their season spotless record, you know, undefeated. They get picked, okay? Mm-hmm. The next team in the Power Five, so the ACC, is Florida State. They finished with a spotless record. Granted, they don't look very good in that Florida game, (laughs) but they still won. But they still won. Spotless record. They do not go. Instead, the committee picks two one-loss teams. Right. They pick Texas, who lost to Oklahoma in the real Big 12 championship. (laughs) You know, the, the actual Big 12 championship ended up being Texas and OSU. But either way, Oklahoma beat Texas, but they still get picked. And Alabama, one loss team. They lost to Texas uh, early in the season. But they did win the SEC championship. Yeah, they won the SEC championship against Georgia, who is also a one loss team. And oh, yeah, so was Oregon. Their only loss was against Washington. And. So is Ohio State, if I remember right. Their only loss is against Michigan. Right. You pick these two completely random <laughs> one-loss teams to go over FSU. I wouldn't say they're random. I would say that even though they're one-loss teams, they picked them because they were conference champions, and they were conference champions of one of the Power Five, each one, you know, the separate Power Fives. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying that was probably their way of thinking it because they're getting used to the idea that with this 12-team system that they've got coming up, that's the plan was that the original top, you know, four or five were going to be the conference champions, followed by whoever falls next into the line. Yeah, so what I think actually was the deal is that last year uh, was the lowest ratings in the college football playoffs history, Mm -hmm. right? You have uh, Georgia... Uh, Michigan, Ohio State, and TCU, right? TCU right. beats Michigan in just one of the craziest offensive games of all time. It literally every three minutes, somebody's scoring. The The final score was like 50-something to 60-something. It was ridiculous. And then Ohio State-Georgia game was really close as well. But then the final ends up being Georgia just tearing TCU apart for you know an hour worth of football. And it's the lowest ratings. Both Alabama and Texas have national uh, level fan bases. Right. They have gigantic fan bases. Alabama because it's Alabama. And it's had a huge fan base ever since Bear Bryant way back in like, you know, the 50s or whatever. Whenever Bear Bryant, 60s, (laughs) you know, huge, huge fan base. Lots and lots of people who never have set foot on the Alabama campus <laughs> are Alabama fans. The same is true with Texas. 
Texas is probably one of the best, if not the best branded colleges ever. You know, it's an orange shirt with the word Texas on it. You have people buying their shirts who don't even realize it's for a, a university. Right. Just because they want to advertise that they love Texas, the state. <laughs> even though the state colors are red, white, and blue. Yeah. <laughs> red, white, and blue. <laughs> so they have a huge, huge fan base as well. Not to mention they have one of the biggest alumni. Yeah, I was going to say alumni money. Well, it's not just alumni money. It's also alumni people. Like, but between Texas and Texas A&M, they both have just enormous endowments for public universities. Mm-hmm. And unlike the other enormous endowment, endowment colleges like Yale and Harvard and the other Ivy League folks, they also have enormous student populations. Between Texas and Texas A&M, or Texas has the largest nationwide school system in the U.S., like both from a population perspective and from a number of campuses. So like there's, you know, University of Texas and Dallas and University of Texas and San Antonio. And there's, and Texas A&M has the same thing, Corpus Christi. And basically every major city almost now has a, <laughs> has a University of Texas or an A&M right. satellite campus, which are their own organizations and entities and everything. But it, it does kind of embed a fan base. And so you can pitch to ESPN pretty handily that hey if you put our teams in the national championship or in the in the playoffs lots and lots and lots of people are going to watch the playoffs and you're going to be able to make tons of money on the ad revenues and i think that's what happened i think flat out fsu has you know a very small fan base in comparison to alabama and texas and you can easily say well they won their conferences certainly it's died down since the days of jimbo fisher well, yeah, from their last, uh, from their national championship. Right. I think it was a money thing. It was flat out. I think it was money. I think everybody knows it was money. I feel sad for FSU for getting, you know, bleeped. I think they probably would have lost. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, so, and here's the thing, though. Okay, they got screwed. That's fine. But guess what? And here's the part that kind of gets me right now is that they're not the first team in even the last decade that's been getting, that's gotten screwed in this system. Or even in the non-playoff system. You know, and I'm talking about Hawaii and UCF. Nobody cares about Hawaii! <laughs> <laughs> but the, the problem now is is the lengths to which the state of Florida is taking this thing. Is that the governor said that he was going to sue the NCAA for this. And I don't know what he was expecting to get out of it. Because I don't know. Votes? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, votes, right. Because you're not going to force them into it. I mean, it's... <laughs> you're not going to get any money from the NCAA. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, we did bad. What you, you're not going to get anything from us. Yeah. And then I read the thing today that even the Florida State Attorney General is launching an investigation into it. And I'm like, what's the point? <laughs> what are you going to honestly do? Yeah. No crime was committed here. <laughs> yeah. Because that's the thing. In college football, it's a beauty pageant. It's not. Right. It's always been a beauty pageant. It's not based on your record. It's a beauty pageant. (laughs) Right. Which is why we're happy to have this playoff system, even though they chose, like you said, a ridiculous number. We wish it had been a better number. But you know what? 12 is better than four. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a good number, but it's a better than four. (laughs) Yeah. Three times is better than four. (laughs) (laughs) And so at least more teams that would kind of be borderline are going to be have a chance to play 
it's just one of the things that kind of gets me on this is like, you know, like, oh, it's a travesty. Like, okay, well, you know, when Hawaii was, you know, went undefeated and didn't get a chance, no one sued the NCAA then. When UCF, you know, yeah, it, held it went undefeated. It held a parade. <laughs> you know, nobody sued the NCAA. So, I mean, let's just, you know, simmer down. <laughs> yep. Lots of drama on that front. Like we said, it's sort of drama that's not really going to go anywhere because the system is already changing. I'm sure they will find a way to screw up 12 team uh, choicing because it's still a committee that picks the teams, right? <laughs> Appalachian State every year. Yeah, right. So I don't know what the Cinderella teams who get into this are going to be um, and how they're going to figure that part out. <laughs> Rothman Community College. The community college. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, who makes it in, and more importantly, why? <laughs> Twelve straight Hail Marys. <laughs> what does that got to do with anything? <laughs> well, it was fun to watch. No, no, it wasn't. <laughs> it was like watching a small child get hit by a bus. <laughs> Every play was a flea flicker. Every single time. <laughs> I think that's probably going to wrap us up. <laughs> we didn't even cover NFL and the MLS, which I got to talk about. And I know you don't care as much, but that was kind of cool for me. And hockey. And hockey. <laughs> and there was a big story that came out of hockey this week. But um, yeah, but, you know, we'll talk about that another time, I guess. Remember, dutiful fans, that we have a website, patandthefatman.com. We're on Facebook, patandthefatman. And... Uh, Got a fat man has an X account, I guess, because it's not Twitter anymore. <laughs> yep. um, I believe we're on Instagram. Yep, we're on Instagram. Yep. So check us out. Uh, share us. Please rank us. Uh, rate us. Highly rate us. Share us. Uh, talk about us. Word of mouth seems to be the way podcasts tend to travel. So we appreciate it. Uh, if you would just stop strangers on the street and explain to them how awesome this podcast is to our patrons. We appreciate you. We love you. We thank you. Thank you for continuing to uh, give us a small bit of your uh, monies so that we can pay our editor uh, so that this podcast is listening, listenable. We swear we're not blowing the money on hookers and blow. We swear. And uh, if you'd like to become a patron, uh, head over to the website, click on the patron button or go to Patreon and uh, find us at Pat and the fat man on that platform we really appreciate um all the help we get from our patrons and you know, there's a lot of um what i will classify as cool stuff <laughs> on the on the patron patron only episodes slightly less deep dives about shows that we do reviews on other things and generally when the patrons ask us to do or review something we review it so that is kind of the power you get as a patron is the power to to decide what we're going to talk about if you'd like to have that power, <laughs> head over to Patreon and become a Patreon. Even if even if it's just a dollar a month, if you think our show is worth that, we would appreciate it. And I'm Pat. I'm the fat man. Stay classy. That's what happens when you screw around and don't do your homework. Let's yeah. <laughs> screw around. Screw around too much. The shed in which they were whacking it. <laughs> <laughs> You're a federal officer. <laughs> Never, Never end a sentence for the premise. <laughs> <laughs>
the uh the shed <laughs> and whose <laughs> camper they were whacking. Whack. <laughs> <laughs> That's better. <laughs>